Day 15, The Fourth Voyage My love of trading, and the pleasure I took in anything that was new and strange, made me set my affairs in order and begin my journey through some of the Persian provinces. I took ship at a distant seaport, and for some time all went well. But at last, being caught in a violent hurricane, our vessel became a total wreck. I, with a few others, had the good fortune to be washed ashore. At daylight we wandered inland and soon saw some huts. As we drew near, their black inhabitants swarmed out in great numbers and surrounded us, and we were led to their houses. I, with five others, was taken into a hut, where we were made to sit upon the ground, and certain herbs were given to us, which the blacks made signs to us to eat. I was careful only to pretend to taste my portion, but my companions, being very hungry, rashly ate up all that was set before them, and very soon I had the horror of seeing them become perfectly mad. The savages now produced large bowls full of rice, and my unlucky companions, having lost their reason, ate greedily all that was offered to them. So they were soon fat. But I grew leaner, day by day, for I ate little. As I was so far from being a tempting morsel, I was allowed to wander about freely, and one day I managed to escape. For seven days I hurried on, and on the eighth day I reached the seashore, and saw a party of white men gathering pepper. I advanced towards them, and they greeted me in Arabic, asking who I was and whence I came. My delight was great on hearing this familiar speech, and I willingly satisfied their curiosity. I stayed with them until they had collected as much pepper as they wished, and then they took me back to their own country and presented me to their king. I had to relate my adventure, and when I had finished, he ordered that I should be treated with consideration. Everything is perfect, but all men rode their horses without bridle or stirrups. I one day presumed to ask his majesty why he did not use them. You speak to me of things of which I have never before heard. This gave me an idea. I found a clever workman and made him cut out under my direction the foundation of a saddle. I then got a locksmith to make me a bit, and a pair of spurs, and when all these things were completed, I presented them to the king and showed him how to use them. When I had saddled one of his horses, he mounted it and rode about quite delighted with the novelty, and to show his gratitude, he rewarded me with gifts. After this, I had to make saddles for all the principal officers of the king's household, and, as they all gave me rich presents, I soon became very wealthy and quite an important person in the city. One day the king sent for me and said, Sinbad, both I and my subjects esteem you and wish you to end your days amongst us. Therefore, I desire that you will marry a rich and beautiful lady, and think no more of your country. 
As the king's will was law, I accepted the charming bride he presented to me and lived happily with her. Things were thus going prosperously with me when it happened that the wife of one of my neighbors died. I went to the neighbor's house to offer my consolations and found him in the depths of woe. I have set my house in order and today I shall be buried with my wife. This has been the law upon our island from the earliest ages. The living husband goes to the grave with his dead wife, the living wife with her dead husband. All must submit to it. As he spoke, the friends and relations of the unhappy pair began to assemble. The body, decked in rich robes and sparkling with jewels, was laid upon an open bier and the procession started, taking its way to a high mountain at some distance from the city, and the wretched husband, clothed from head to foot in a black mantle, was following mournfully. When the place of interment was reached, the corpse was lowered into a deep pit. Then the husband, bidding farewell to all his friends, stretched himself upon another bier, upon which were laid seven little loaves of bread and a pitcher of water. And he also was let down to the depths of the horrible cavern, and then a stone was laid over the opening, and the melancholy company wended its way back to the city. From that time forward, my mind was never easy. If only my wife's little finger ached, I fancied she was going to die, and sure enough, before very long, she fell really ill, and in a few days breathed her last. The body of my wife, arrayed in her richest robes and decked with all her jewels, was laid upon the bier. I followed it, and after me came a great procession, and in this order we reached the fatal mountain. I speedily found myself descending into the gloomy pit, with my seven loaves and pitcher of water beside me. Almost before I reached the bottom, the stone was rolled into place above my head, and I was left to my fate. Here I lived in darkness and misery, until my provisions were exhausted. But just as I was nearly dead from starvation, the rock was rolled away overhead, and I saw that a bier was being lowered into the cavern, and that the corpse upon it was a man. In a moment, my mind was made up. The woman who followed had nothing to expect but a lingering death. I should be doing her a service if I shortened her misery. Therefore, when she descended already insensible from terror... I was ready armed with a huge bone, one blow from which left her dead, and I secured the bread and water which gave me hope of life. Several times did I have recourse to this desperate expedient, and I know not how long I had been a prisoner when one day I fancied that I heard something near me. Turning to the place from which the sound came, I dimly saw a shadowy form which fled at my movement squeezing itself through a cranny in the wall. 
I followed it for what seemed to me many miles, and at last I emerged upon the seashore. The mountains sloped sheer down to the sea, and there was no road across them. Being assured of this, I returned to the cavern, and amassed a rich treasure which strewed the ground. These I made up into bales, and stored them into a safe place upon the beach, and then waited hopefully for the passing of a ship. I had looked out for two days, until a sail finally appeared. A boat was sent off to me, and luckily for me, they believed my story. After visiting many lands, and collecting in each place great store of goodly merchandise, I found myself at last in Baghdad, once more with unheard-of riches of every description. Again I gave large sums of money to the poor, and enriched all the mosques in the city. Here Sinbad paused, and all his hearers declared that the adventures of his fourth voyage had pleased them better than anything they had heard before. They then took their leave, followed by Hinbad, who had once more received one hundred sequins, and, with the rest, had been bidden to return next day for the story of the fifth voyage. When the time came, all were in their places, and when they had eaten and drunk of all that was set before them, Sinbad began his tale. <laughs>